Section 1 of The Cartel's Jungle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Cartel's Jungle by Irving E. Cox, Jr. It was a world of greedy dynasts, each contending for the right to pillage and enslave. But one man's valor became a shining shield. And he who overcomes an enemy by fraud is as much to be praised as he who does so by force. Machiavelli, Discorsi three, fifteen 1531 The captain walked down the ramp carrying a lightweight bag. To a discerning eye, the bag meant only one thing. Max Hunter had quit the service. A spaceman on leave never took personal belongings from his ship, because without a bag he could bypass the tedious wait for a customs clearance. From the foot of the ramp a gray-haired port hand called up to Hunter. "'So you really threw, Max?' "'I always said by the time I was twenty-six. "'Lots of guys think they'll make it. I did once myself. Look at me now. I'm no good in the ships any more. So they bust me back to port hand. It's too damn easy to throw your credits away in the crumb joints.' "'I'm getting married,' Hunter replied. "'Ann and I worked this out when I joined the service.' Now we have the capital to open her clinic, and 96,000 credits salted away in the Solar First National Fund. Every youngster starts out like you did, but something always happens. The girl doesn't wait, maybe, or he gets to thinking he can pile up credits faster in the company casinos. The old man saluted. So long, boy. It does my soul good to meet one guy who's getting out of this crazy space racket. Max Hunter strode along the fenced causeway toward the low, pink-walled municipal building, shimmering in the desert sun. Behind him, the repair docks and the launching tubes made a ragged silhouette against the sky. Hunter felt no romantic inclination to look back. He had always been amused by the insipid Tri-D space operas. To Hunter, it had been a business, a job different from other occupations only because the risks were greater and the bonus scale higher. Anne would be waiting in the lobby, as she always was when he came in from a flight. But today, when they left the field, it would be for keeps. Anticipation made his memory of Anne Samer suddenly vivid. The caress of her lips, the delicate scent of her hair, the quick smile, and the pert upturn of her nose. Captain Hunter thought of Anne as small and delicate, yet neither term was strictly applicable, except subjectively in relation to himself. Hunter towered a good four inches above six feet. His shoulders were broad and powerful, his hips narrow, and his belly flat and hard. He moved with the coordination that had become second nature to him after a decade of frontier war. He was the typical spaceman, holding a first in his profession. As was his privilege, he still wore his captain's uniform, dress boots of black plastic, tight-fitting trousers, and a scarlet jacket bearing the gold insignia of Consolidated Solar Industries. Hunter entered the municipal building and joined the line of people moving slowly toward the customs booth. Anxiously, he scanned the mass of faces in the lobby. Ann Samer wasn't there. He felt the keen knife-edge disappointment and something else, something he didn't want to put into words. He had sent Anne a micropic telling her when his ship would be in. Of course there was that commission job she had taken. A 
Abruptly he was face to face again with the vague fear that had nagged at his mind for nearly a month. This wasn't like Anne. Always before she had sent him every two or three days a chatty micropic, using the private code they had invented to cut the unit cost of words. But four weeks had now passed since he had last heard from her. In attempt at self-assurance, he recalled to mind just how exacting a commission job could be. Perhaps Anne had been working so hard she had simply not had the time to send him a message. Not even five minutes to send a micropic? It didn't occur to him that she must be ill, for preventative medicine had long ago made physical disease a trivial factor in human affairs. A maladjustment, then, with a commitment to a city clinic? But Ann Samer held a first in psychiatry. Hunter fingered the savings fund record in his pocket, the goal he and Ann had worked for so long. Nothing could go wrong now. Nothing. He had the words over and over in his mind as he might have repeated the litany of a prayer, although Max Hunter did not consider himself a religious man. At sixteen, he and Ann Samer had fallen in love, while they had both been in the last semester of the general school. They could have married then, or they might have registered for the less permanent companionship union. In either case, both of them would have had to go to work. Hunter could not have entered the space service which enrolled only single men, and Anne could not have afforded the university. It hadn't mattered to Hunter, but Anne had possessed enough ambition for them both. She knew she had the ability to earn a first in psychiatry and would settle for nothing less. The drive that kept their goal alive was hers. She was determined to establish a clinic of her own. The plan she worked out was very practical, for Anne was in all respects the opposite of an idle dreamer. Hunter was to join a commissioned space fleet. His bonus credits would accumulate to supply their capital, while he paid her university tuition from his current earnings. After they married, Hunter was to manage the finances of the clinic while Anne became the resident psychiatrist. Even at sixteen, Anne Samer had very positive ideas about curing mental illness, which was the epidemic sickness of their world. Eight years later, while she was still serving her internship in a city clinic, Anne had invented a tiny machine, which, with wry humor, she called an exorciser. She had never used the device in the public clinic. If she had, she would have lost the patent, since she had built the exerciser while she was still serving out her educational apprenticeship in the city clinic. "'I'm no fool, Max,' she told Hunter. "'Why should I give it away? We'll coin credits in our own clinic with that little gadget.' Hunter had no objection to her aggressive selfishness. In fact, the term selfishness did not even occur to him. Anne was simply expressing the ethic of their society. He admired her brilliance, her cleverness, and he knew that her exerciser, properly exploited, would be the touchstone to a fortune. During one of his furloughs, Anne demonstrated what the machine could do. After a minor surgical operation, a fragile filigree of microscopic platinum wires was planted in the cerebral cortex of a patient's skull. From a multi-dialed console, and verbally transmitted a new personality directly into the maladjusted mind. After twenty minutes, she removed the wire grid, and the disorganized personality was whole again, with an adjustment index testing at zero-zero. 
a cure that leaves out the long probe for psychic causes she said enthusiastically in minutes max we'll be able to do what now takes weeks or months they'll swarm into our clinic hunter reasoned that anne had taken the commission job in order to experiment with her machine in a privately operated clinic her internship had ended a month before and it had been an altogether legal thing for her to do the fact that she had taken a commission meant she would work for only a specific contract period and because a commission job carried a professional classification anne had not been compelled to join the union nevertheless the haze of anxiety still lay oppressively over captain hunter's mind no matter what the requirements of anne's commission may have been she could have met him at the spaceport she knew when his ship was due and had never failed to show up before chapter two the line of people continued to move steadily toward the customs booth hunter stopped at last in front of a counter where a male clerk wearing on his tunic the identification disc of his ufw union local typed out the customs forms took hunter's thumbprint and carefully checked his medical certificate had your last boosters in the mars station is that correct yes last january hunter replied that gives you an eight months clearance the clerk smiled plenty of time for a spaceman's furlough i'm making a permanent separation hunter affirmed the clerk glanced at him sharply then i'd better issue a temporary health card he ran a red-tinted celluloid rectangle through a stamping machine and hunter pressed his thumbprint upon the signature square can you give me your home address captain i'll be staying at the roost for a day or so after that i'm getting married i'll sign your health file to the los angeles clinic then the clerk said you can apply for an official reassignment later if necessary he made a photocopy of the health card pushed it into the pneumatic tube and handed the original to hunter then he rolled the customs form back into the typewriter since you're quitting the service captain i'll have to have additional information for the municipal file do you have union affiliation no spacemen aren't required to join the ufw if you want to give me a part payment on the initiation fee i'll be glad to issue it'll be a long hard winter before eric young gets any of my credits hunter said his eyes narrowing considering how hunter felt about the union of free workers and the labor czar eric young he thought he had phrased his answer with remarkable restraint anti-labor the clerk said and typed the designation on the form no hunter snapped and i won't be labeled that as far as the individual goes i believe he has every right to organize no one can stand up against the cartels in any other way but this exploitation by young you either join the ufw or you're against us the clerk shrugged disinterestedly it's all one and the same thing to me captain however if you expect a job in this city you'll have to get it through the union he typed again on the customs form according to the new regulation i'm obliged to classify you as unemployed and that restricts you to limited areas of los angeles as well as when the hell did they put over a law like that two weeks ago sir it gives the clinics a closer control over the potentially maladjusted and it should help ease the pressure there are no exceptions the executive classifications naturally professionals and spacemen that would have included you captain hunter 
but you say you've left the service. Hunter gritted his teeth. It had been like this for as long as he could remember. Whenever he returned from a long flight, there was always a new form of regimentation to adjust to, and always for the same reason, to stop the steady rising incidence of psychotic maladjustment. How does the law define an executive? Hunter asked. Job bracket with one of the cartels, the clerk replied, or the total credits held on deposit with a recognized fund. The captain flung his savings book on the counter. The clerk glanced at the balance and X'd out the last word he had typed on the customs form. You qualify, sir, with a thousand credits to spare. I'll give you a citywide clearance as an executive, but I can only make it temporary. You'll have to check once a week with the UFW office. If your balance drops below 95000 you'll be reclassified. The clerk ran another celluloid card. This time it was blue through the stamping machine and passed it across to Hunter. Captain Hunter picked up his bag and entered the customs booth, which by that time was empty. The probe lights glowed from the walls and ceiling, efficiently x-raying his bag and his clothing for any prohibited imports. Within seconds the alarm bell clanged and the metal doors banged shut, imprisoning Hunter in the booth. "'Now what?' he asked himself. "'What regulation had he violated this time?' In his mind, he inventoried the contents of his bag. It contained only a handful of personal belongings and the tools of trade which he had needed as a captain of a fighting ship. Everything was legitimate and above board. Hunter hadn't even brought Anne a souvenir from the frontier. After a time, the booth door swung open. A senior inspector carrying a blaster crowded into the cubicle. "'Open your bag!' the inspector commanded, motioning with his weapon. Hunter saw that the blaster dial was set to fire the death charge, not the weaker dispersal charge which produced only an hour's paralysis. Hunter thumbed the photocell lock. It responded to the individual pattern of his thumbprint, and the bag fell open. The inspector picked up the worn blaster which lay under Hunter's shipboard uniform. "'Smuggling firearms, Captain, is a violation of the city code. The fine is—' "'Smuggling!' Hunter exploded— that blaster was registered to me nine years ago. He snapped open his wallet. The inspector frowned over the registration form, biting indecisively at his lower lip. That was issued before my time, he alibied. I'll have to check the regulations. It may take a while. He left the booth. He was gone for a quarter of an hour. When he returned, both metal doors snapped open. Your permit is valid, Captain Hunter, the inspector admitted. Unrestricted registrations like yours have not been issued for the past five years. That's why the probe was not adjusted to the special conditions which apply in your case. Your permit is revocable if you are committed for maladjustment. Hunter grinned. I wouldn't count on that. My adjustment index is zero, zero. A paragon, Captain. The voice was dry and biting. But you may find conditions on the earth a little trying. You haven't had a chance to get really well acquainted with your own world since you were a kid of sixteen. Hunter's customs clearance had taken more than an hour. Before he left the municipal building, he made a quick tour of the lobby, searching again for Ann Samer. Satisfied that she had not come, he put in a call from a public telebooth to Ann's apartment residence. After a moment, Mrs. Ames' face came into sharp focus on the screen, the light coalescing about her hair. 
a warm motherly widow of nearly eighty mrs ames had been the residence's owner for a decade and had taken a great deal of vicarious pleasure in Anne's romance with the captain it's so different she said once to hunter your faith in each other the way you work together for a goal you both want if the rest of us could only learn to have some honest affection for each other but there i'm an old woman living too much in the past as soon as hunter saw her face on the screen he knew that something was wrong she was tense and nervous tied in the emotional knots of an anxiety neurosis and mrs ames was not the woman to fall easy victim to mental illness if hunter had been guessing the odds he would have put her adjustment index on par with his own i haven't seen Anne for a month she told him where is she my last micropic from her said something about a commission job she's all right max did you join the ufw i'll be damned if i will why had she asked him that her question seemed totally unrelated to her reassurance as to Anne. another clear symptom of her emotional unbalance about Anne, mrs ames he persisted do you know what clinic gave her the commission mrs ames stared at him in surprise Anne didn't tell you in her micropic we used personal code he explained that makes a certain type of communication extremely difficult i didn't see her max after she took the commission some men came for her things they brought me a note from Anne, but it didn't tell me where she was it just authorized the men to move out her belongings is the work outside of los angeles do you know that much at first i guessed she broke off biting her lip and her face twisted in an agony of intense feeling no max an old woman's guesses won't help i can't tell you any more about it i'll come out and see you this afternoon mrs ames he promised after i check in at the roost i want to look at that note you had from Anne. chapter three captain hunter left the municipal building and stood on the transit platform it was blazing hot in the noon sun and he considered chartering an auto jet to the city as he always had before but though a jet was faster than the monorail it was also more expensive acutely mindful that he had left the service and would earn no more juicy credit bonuses he took the monorail instead he had only a ten-minute wait before a crowded car screamed to a stop at the port station hunter went aboard along with four passengers from recent inbound flights laboring-class tourists returning from vacations on one of the planetoid resorts since a majority of the people who passed through the spaceport were executives or professionals they used the auto jets hunter's uniform set him apart a spaceman was expected to live high to throw away credits like glamour heroes on the tri-d space dramas the monorail car was crowded primarily with afternoon shift workers on their way to the industrial area they all wore on their tunics the discs of the union of free workers the four tourists who went aboard at the spaceport with hunter pulled out their ufw badges and pinned them on they belonged hunter didn't he found an empty chair at the rear of the car beside a gaudily attired woman whose union disc proclaimed her a member of local forty seven the recreational companion union 
what miracles we perform hunter thought with a judicial selection of innocuous words he glanced at the woman she was past the first bloom of youth and her face under her makeup was heavily lined her eyes shrewd and observing had he known that she had been shadowing him almost from the instant of his arrival in los angeles and had been waiting his return to earth in obedience to carefully formulated instructions he would not have regarded her so complacently the monorail shot up toward the palms pine pass of the san jacinto mountains from the crest of the grade hunter could look back at the flat cemented field of the spaceport and the ragged teeth of the launching tubes rearing high on the mojave ahead of him misted by the blue haze of industrial smog was los angeles the capital city of sector west and indirectly the capital of the entire planet almost indistinct against the horizon were the soaring babel towers the tangled network of walk levels jetways and private landing flats which was the center city the lower bulky factory buildings squatted under the towers and spreading outward from them like concentric rings made by a stone hurled into a quiet pool was the monotonous clutter of the minimum housing the city sprawled from san diego to santa barbara and it lapped against the arid mojave to the east beyond were the suburban homes of laborers and low echelon executives who had carved brass-knuckled niches for themselves in the medium income bracket hunter saw the panoramic view of sector west for only a split second before the monorail car screamed down through the layer of gray haze for thirty minutes the car shot across the minimum housing area stopping from time to time at high platform stations in the industrial district the car emptied rapidly only hunter and his faded seat companion got out at the turnaround terminal and took the slideway to center city in the metro entry at the top of the stairs they went through a security check station manned by six blaster armed police guards half of the guards were the insignia of consolidated solar industries and half of united research the two titan cartels which were locked in deadly battle for the empire beyond the stars the government played it safe hunter thought with bitterness using an equal number of police from each organization on earth the pacific balance of commercial power was never disturbed not at least on the surface the two imperial giants lived side by side in a tactful display of peace on the frontier the real conflict raged fought with all the weapons of treachery and an arsenal of highly refined atomic weapons the blaster which could tear a man into component elements and the l-bombs that were capable of turning a young son into a nova the woman passed through the security check with no trouble the men knew her and made only a perfunctory examination of her cards but hunter again had difficulty because of the blaster in his bag his registered permit carried no weight with the guards. It was not their duty to execute existing law, but to protect their private employers. However, the consolidated insignia on Hunter's jacket made the three consolidated guards ready to honor his permit. Eventually, they persuaded the opposition to pass Hunter into the city, on the ground that the captain's zero-zero adjustment index indicated that it was safe for him to carry arms. When Hunter went through the probe, he found the woman waiting for him. During the half-hour ride from the spaceport, he had tried twice to start a conversation with her, and failed. Now, abruptly, her face was animated with interest. 
She put her arm through his and walked with him to the lift shaft. So you got away with it, Captain. Since it was long-standing fashion, she had trained her voice to sound low-pitched and husky. I mean, bringing a blaster into Center City. Why all this fuss about a gun? Hunter asked. It's a new government regulation, she told him. The government doesn't make the law, he reminded her. The cartels do. The last fiscal mental health report showed the percentage of maladjusted. She laughed throatily. I wish we used those words honestly. The survey showed the lunatic percentage is still increasing. The cartels are using that report as an excuse to keep the people unarmed. Hunter was regarding her steadily. Why? he asked. We are not as content with our world as we're supposed to be, she said. Eric Young can't keep all of us in line forever. Captain, we could use your blaster. It's next to impossible to get one these days. I could make it worth your while. It's registered to me, Hunter pointed out. I'll change the serial, was her instant reply. Your name wouldn't be involved. No, I want to keep it. To use yourself. Don't talk nonsense, he said. This isn't the frontier. He made the denial vehemently, but deep in his mind he had an uncertain feeling that her guess was right. Earth was not the battleground, but it had spawned the conflict. The appearance of peace was a sham. Here the battle was fought with more subtlety, but the objective remained the same. If Ann Samer had somehow been caught in the no-man's land between the two cartels, it was the first time that the thought had occurred to Hunter, and it filled him with a dread foreboding. The woman sensed his feeling. He saw a smile on her curving lips. She said softly, So, even a spaceman sometimes has his doubts. I left the service this morning, he said. Suddenly he was telling her all about himself and Anne. It was unwise, perhaps even dangerous. But he had to unburden himself to someone, or run the risk of losing his emotional control. So now you've lost this, this ambitious woman of yours, she said when he had finished. No, he protested. I won't let myself believe that. Once I did, as well as her interesting invention, the exorciser, she went on relentlessly. Have you ever wondered, Captain Hunter, what might happen if the platinum grid was not removed from a patient's brain? No, but I suppose, I suppose he'd remain in control of the operator of the transmitter. She nodded. He'd become a perfectly adjusted specimen with zero-zero index. He'd also become a human robot with no will of his own. But Anne wouldn't. Not Anne, Captain. Not the girl you've waited so long to marry. All she wants is a clinic of her own so that she can help the maladjusted. But don't forget, she holds a priceless patent. Keep your blaster, my friend. I have an idea you may need it. He gripped her wrist. You know something about this? I know the world we live in. Nothing more. But you're guessing. Later, Captain, after you start putting some facts together on your own. She pulled away from him. If you want to find me again, and I think you will, look for me in number 34 on the amusement level. Ask for Dawn. 
Suddenly, for no reason that he could explain, he had for her a great sympathy. She was no ordinary woman. Her discernment was extraordinary, and she possessed, in addition, a strangely elusive charm. They rode the lift as it moved up through the city level in its transparent fairy world shaft. Dawn got out first, at the mid-city walkway where the cheapest shops and the gaudiest entertainment houses were crammed together. Dazzling in the glare of colored lights, the mid-city never slept. It was always thronged. It was the only area of the heartland, except for the top-level casinos, open to every citizen without restriction. On the levels immediately above it were the specialty shops, dealing in luxuries for the suburbanites who had fought, schemed, and bribed their way out of the minimum housing. Higher still was the sector given over to the less expensive commercial hotels. The upper levels were occupied by cartel executive offices, and at the top, high enough to escape the smog and feel the warmth of the sun, were the fabulous casino resorts, the mansions built by the family dynasts who controlled the cartels, and the modest limestone building housing the mockery which passed as government. End of section 1